This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Knicks fans. That's it. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Here with my co-host extraordinaire, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, um, uh, I will. I, we said it before we started recording. I will say it again now. A belated happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. How are you? I'm great. Happy belated Thanksgiving to you as well. Um, it was a nice weekend. I also took the first three days of this week off. So back to work for me. And uh, I saved all my vacation time because I thought, you know, sometime in like June that maybe there was a chance that I would actually use it for something. But now I just have a ginormous staycation towards the end of the year and some days sprinkled in. I think I'm only working like 11 out of 31 days in the month of December. It's use it or lose it by the 31st. Yeah, I can carry over a few. But so I'm doing that. And even then I have I just have too many days, which is great. So (laughs) December is going to be really chill for me. I'm looking forward to that. That's great for you. Um, it does not work the same way in the Department of Education. I had a, a co-teacher the last two years that I think he told me he could have taken his like an entire year off. And like at the whenever he wants to retire, whenever he decides, he could have basically retired a year early because he had saved up all of his um, all of his days because they carry over from year to year. Yeah, well, that's something to look forward to for you, I guess. Retire a year early, maybe. I, I've can. been taking he, but he he's he never took days off, so I have taken a few like sick days here and there. But but I think I still have like I think I have like thirty that have carried over from the last five years. So I'm I'm working my way up yeah. to it. You got time? Yeah, I got time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're both we both seem to be in good spirits. I nothing's really gone bad since we last talked. It's I got right. I mean, no, it hasn't. But it's interesting because so so we're recording this again. We, we talk about it <laughs> imperative to timestamp this shit <laughs> with with how last week unfolded. Um, we're recording this at five twenty four p.m. on Sunday. Um, I was just telling Jeremy I have not written word one of Monday's newsletter because I have just I've been anticipating the other shoe dropping, and it. Well, I don't know if we're going to get into the Batum thing. I don't know if that counts as a shoe dropping. It's a uh, maybe a slipper sliding across the floor. I don't. I, I've lost the analogy. Um, oh, Macassan. I mean, that's not French. It's you know, but we could say Macassan with a French accent. And you can say really anything with a French accent, and it, it, it sounds, sounds better. French. Yeah. Um, in any case, um, no, nothing has gone bad. But at the same time, it seemed like some people today. And again, I think this is somewhat by virtue of like um, they haven't done anything big. And it's like, so we'll, 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 I keep beating around the bush. So Batum, Nicholas Batum um, was waived um, by Charlotte, which means Charlotte will pay him um, $9 million a year for the next three years to not play basketball and will essentially be paying again. I can't even say this with a straight face. Gordon Hayward, 147 million. <laughs> I can't get it out. $147 million over the next four years when you factor in Batum's um, waived and stretched salary. And specifically, Gordon Hayward will be making $37 million a year for each of the next three years. That is, I mean, my goodness. Um, The Knicks did, well, it's, this is part of the discussion. I was about to say the Knicks didn't take on his salary. The Knicks weren't the only team that could take on his salary. We're going to get there in a second. Um, but the Knicks did not get involved with this. It ended up being a sign and trade with Boston, uh, which gives Boston a very big trade exception. Um, and largest in NBA history. 
Yeah, right. Uh, slightly Crazy. bigger than the Stephen Adams trade exception, which is also relevant to this discussion. Yeah. Um, so the Knicks didn't get in on this. They are, as of right now, um, by virtue of the fact that they have made the Alfred Payton signing official, and we, we'll get into the mechanics of how and why this is, um, they are now down to 18 million, 18 point something million dollars in cap space, um, which is still a lot. It's by far the most in the league. I think the Kings have a few bucks by, because they didn't match bogey, right? Or am I making that up? No, it's correct, but it's, it's, it's negligible. Nothing. It's next yeah. to nothing. Yeah, it's next to nothing. So the, the, the Knicks still have by far the most cap space in the league. What they will or won't use it on is a matter of discussion. Um, I will turn it to you, as I often do, for general impressions of what did happen, what didn't happen yet. Yeah, take it away. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where you would have liked to have taken on Batum for some sort of asset, of course. Uh, and the Knicks, the announcement of the Knicks signing Alfred Payton kind of gave it away that it felt like, all right, they're, clearly they're not going to have the space they thought they were going to. And sure enough, a few moments later, it came out that the Hornets would rather literally like 30 Batum. seconds later. <laughs> And so it's like, yeah, okay, cool. This is all falling into place. So if you're the Knicks, I mean, first of all, as John, as you said, the Knicks weren't the only game in town here. In fact, I think that you could probably say that the Thunder were in a much better position because they just opened up the Stephen Adams trade player exception. Can I ask you that, a question? Sure. Because I, I was looking for this and I couldn't find it. If in an imaginary world they had taken on Batum into that trade exception, that, that certainly would have put them over the cap for this year the thunder uh, yeah they're already over the cap they're already over the cap so they're in this what? weird spot where they haven't spent enough to be over the cap but because <laughs> yeah. they have enough um tpes and um roster holds or not roster holds but the cap the cap rights to you know these players yeah. they're technically over the hold without physically being over it so it, yeah it's, it's kind of odd as and someone put it it's uh schrodinger's cap which is <laughs> Wow, that's um, for the eight people who got that, it'll be worth it. Um, but it would have put them again, correct me if I may be wrong on this, wouldn't have put them like somewhat close to the tax, or am I is it not they wouldn't the have been that close? But I did, I was doing the math earlier because, um, truth be told, I had this not so much elaborate thing compared to last week, but it was like detailing <laughs> when the, some specifics, and fortunately, uh. The Hornets were nice enough to wave Batum before I was able to make a fool of myself. So much obliged, Charlotte. Much obliged. Thanks, Michael Jordan. Um, and it, <laughs> it's the only so, time we'll ever say that on this podcast. Yeah, seriously. Um, so in this case, for the Knicks, I mean, yes, as you said, they're left with the $18 million. I think one thing that complicated all of this is though the Thunder had that amount as their cap, uh, their TPE, where they could absorb Batum, they're also dealing with a situation with Al Horford, who has not officially become a member of the Thunder. So if the Sixers wanted to say, we want Danny Green now, it would have actually complicated things because uh, for what it's worth, the Thunder cannot aggregate Danny Green's salary with any other players because he was just traded from the Lakers. So you have to wait until early December, which is like December 8th. And that means that training camp, which is already pretty truncated, will have been a week's through one week yeah. and Danny Green wouldn't have been present and he yeah. won't be present. So if the Thunder then, if the Sixers, excuse me, say we want Danny Green in the building right now before training camp, that means that the Thunder, instead of having to do some sort of deal that matches salary wise, they have to take Al Horford into that uh, TPE that they just acquired for Adams. And then uh, they could figure out a way to send Danny Green as well. Um, so that's, I think, one potential reason why maybe things crumbled. But if they didn't, then again, it's like the Thunder could just take Batum on without the Knicks or without having to send any salary, which is not what the Knicks were in a position to do. They had to send some sort of salary out. It's just yeah. a matter of, are you sending Reggie Bullock when, in my opinion, the asset you could get for Reggie Bullock at the deadline with, say, like a matching salary and a pick is probably a little bit better, if not at worst equal to Batum and an asset going over to the Knicks. But the bottom line is that the Hornets didn't want to pay any assets to get rid of Nicholas Batum. Or you could look at it as like other teams didn't want Julius Randle or the Knicks felt that what the Hornets were offering, which in this case, I mean, with the TPE with Boston, they traded, I think, um, one or two second round picks. 
Like that may not have been worth it to the Knicks to to acquire Batum. Yeah, Boston traded uh, seconds in the 2023 and the 2024 draft, and they got back a conditional second in the 2022 draft, which you can use your imagination that seconds never conveying. Right. So again, it's like the Hornets are, in this case, they're giving up 9 million or so a year to wave and stretch Batum's contract. And they're really not giving up anything to give Boston the largest TPE in NBA history, which, I mean, one, I don't really know why they did that because they didn't, they didn't have to. Boston. I don't know why the Hornets agreed to giving that TPE because they could have, they could have facilitated it another way, but I they guess decided they to want do the it. Picks? Yeah, I guess. Um, if, if, you're, if you're looking it's at probably it, they wanted two second round picks. But, because yeah. if you're, if you're Danny Ainge, you're like, you okay? So Danny Ainge clearly values the, the the this TPE, right? Which he probably won't use, and then we'll get to hear about how close he was to using it. I, I can't wait to traditional I'm, Boston leakage history. It's like, oh, we were so close to getting this great player with our TPE. I just largest I, ever, but you know, just didn't work out. I'm that's, just that's wondering who the hell does he want to like? I can't even fathom the player, but whatever. We, we're getting too far afoul of of what the point of this conversation is. The the the. The Hornets get something for their trouble, right? They get they get a couple second round picks. That's something. The more interesting part of this discussion for me is the OKC slash New York angle, which basically it's like, okay, if the if if because we're like Mark Berman had a tweet, and I'm gonna have Mark Berman on the pod this week, and we'll I'm sure we'll get into it, where he's basically like James Dolan didn't want to pay twenty three million dollars for a pick of some kind. Didn't he? Didn't, a he didn't say explicitly let let Dolan put his foot down. He was more like wish washy on it. And second of all, he didn't say anything about what the pick was. Here's my point: if the Hornets were putting like an unprotected first round pick on the table either this year or something that would eventually potentially convert to a first round pick, as opposed to top fourteen protected next year, the year after, the year after that, and then it converts to two seconds. Those are very different things. And I can, I would bet you a beer, Jeremy, that if Sam Presti had the opportunity to get a, a pick from Charlotte that at any point in time in the hit in, you know, this millennium was going to convert to an unprotected pick, he would have taken that um, Batum salary into that traded player exception and he would have ran uh, to the fax machine and, and faxed that one into the league. So my guess is that whatever pick the Knicks did or did not turn down from Charlotte to take in Batum. It may not be the golden goose that some are making it out to be. I just want to throw that out there. Unless for some reason he, the the Hornets liked, because from the Hornets perspective, what does it matter? Like you would think that they would rather have Reggie Bullock on, because that would be the money going back, right? Probably it would be Reggie Bullock going back for, uh, you know, like that's something I think the Hornets would want. So it's, again, it just, it doesn't add up for me that it was some like the Knicks are turning down like a primo asset here, but maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. From Charlotte's perspective, they got assets for taking on Gordon Hayward. I mean, and and they wanted him in the first place. So it's a win-win in their mind. If they're comfortable with stretching Batum, which from even what, like a couple weeks ago or a week ago, I guess they totally were, they were very comfortable with that idea. And then they, you know, they tried to work it out with other teams clearly because that's what the delay was in terms of the, I think eight days that it took from us to get to that initial report where Hayward signed to today. So clearly they wanted something out of this and they're cool with that salary just being wasted away because they probably figure next year. We're not, you know, we'll have some cap relief as is Zeller's off the books. Yeah. I was about to say Zeller. And I think that's it, right? That's um, I believe that's a big one. it is right. But then, you know, Rozier is not a great player by any stretch, but he's on an expiring contract. It's a large one, but maybe if you are from the the perspective of Charlotte, you say, what if there's a way where we surround Rozier with better talent? That's what he looks better. And then we can try to trade him for a matching salary and we can add some of the assets. And we're more comfortable doing that because the fact that we just netted two second round picks. And again, those second round picks don't mean a whole lot, but you know, this is also a team skid greasers. Right, exactly. They they'll you know they'll make things happen, and the Hornets are also at a deficit in terms of their second round picks, thanks to partially the New York Knicks, um, yeah. and they, I think they also don't have their twenty twenty three pick. So they may not. You know, from from Charlotte's perspective, they might feel like they made out like bandits. I don't quite see it that way, but it's hard to say this is a negative move as long as they're comfortable with Batum being waived. Yeah, but from the Knicks' perspective, it's just like okay, well. We tried to get in there and we couldn't. And now we have $18 million. 
And it feels like there's egg on New York's face. I'm very curious to see if they do anything between now and the start of well, the training camp or even like, you know, the second week of December, because that's when a lot of these restrictions let up. Um, but, but I don't necessarily look at it as a negative and that's not me trying to shill for this front office. It's more just the fact that they haven't done something harmful with that cap space. And yes. it's crazy. We, again, we have to look in that view, but I'm, I'm eager to see if there is that missing piece. If it's not, then, you know, I just feel like there's certainly a front court logjam. I see a glaring hole at the one. I would like some of these things to be solved. Um, and I know we'll obviously talk a little bit more about Randall yeah. and some of the other moves that were made, but it's a matter of how are you prioritizing assets and what's the right move versus, you know, getting future picks or developing players on the court. It's a, it's, it's a discussion that I think you have very differing sides on. So that's the thing is, and I was hinting at it um, to start the episode about there seems to be some consternation in the air today, some with the bit with the media, maybe some segments of the fan base. And again, this may come off as us being a bit of a shill for this new front office, but here's what I'm going to say in our defense. It's one thing to come to the defense of um, a front office that has shown no indication that they know what a chessboard is, let alone how to play the game. Um, to me, I look at what the front office has done. And again, we're not saying the Ed Davis thing or the, or the um, sign and trade for like, these aren't monumental like moves, but they are proof of concept. They are, they are, they are indication that the people that are making these decisions, they know what they are doing. Does it mean they're going to make the right decisions all the time or most of the time? No and no, but they know what they're doing. So the notion that they're just going to be like, oh, well, we have $18 million in cap space. You know, who knows? Maybe it'll come in handy at one point. Like, that's not what's going on here. Um, I I would proffer, you know, feel free to disagree. I would proffer that that much. To me, the question is, and you just hinted at it, um, is there a move coming now or is there let's sit on this for the time being? Because, again, it doesn't go bad. Um, and yes, there's more competition today than there was yesterday because Boston has the exception. And as we talked about before, so does OKC. But, you know, you look around the league um, and especially here's the other thing. The amount of fungible little salaries now that New York has spent the last two weeks signing, it may it really does put them in a very interesting position, because unlike, say, your, um, you know, your Boston's of the world or even your OKC's who have either pieces that like nobody wants or pieces that they want to keep. New York has a bunch of these little pieces that's like, hey, um, we could use that guy. We could use that guy if we're looking to dump this salary we're at least getting something back that will help us. So I, I think to be like, oh, the Knicks are ending the offseason with this room they didn't spend is more than a little short-sighted, right? Yeah, I would agree. And again, this is coming from me, the person who said flat out, I would be surprised if the Knicks didn't get, I think I said towards 109 because of the fact that with agents and how that play is, but yeah. they've got 20 guys coming. Well, we're, not, we're not done yet. We're not, we're not. But the thing is, we've, we still have 20 players on the roster. That's the max coming to camp. You know, if Randall doesn't get moved, if Knox doesn't get moved, Bullock, Dilakina, Dennis Machine, or whoever it may be, then yes, you're, you're coming in with a huge amount, probably too much. And again, it's fine though, because you still can make those trades. Yeah. I, I just would be, again, still surprised if nothing happens until then. But it's then this question of, you know, say, who are you trading? Not necessarily who are you trading for, but who is going out the building? And to me, I mean, it's if we're if, if you want to talk about Randall a little bit right now. I think it's sense? I think it's a, a good. I was sorry, I was just looking for um, the Mark Stein tweet because what I was gonna you you just reminded me of something about you would be like I think we both would be surprised if something else get, doesn't get done. Training camp starts two days from right now. <clears throat> But it doesn't, it doesn't, because then that's what I was looking for. The first five days of this aren't really training camp. You're, they're not five on fives. You're not running scrimmages. You're not really, you're not from, again, from the gist of what we've been told, you're not instilling offenses besides the fact that the Knicks have already done some of that and the, whatever they did two months ago or three months ago. It's like, it's like one-on-one -on -one drills, right? For the first five days. That's essentially what we're, we're talking about here. 
Um, so really, you want to have your team set by December 6th, I think, is the day. And we're sitting here. It's not even December yet. So I think when we're like it to me, it is still dangerous for us to be like, these are the 20 guys that are going to, you know, they're going to have to make decisions about, you know, whatever. I'm going to actually before we get because there's so many directions we could go on, Randall. Do you think. Do you think that they want to keep him heading into the season? Not really. What? I mean, listen, so, okay. So my viewpoint is there's really not a future here for him long-term. Um, obviously that he's, is the a highest, point. he's the highest paid player on the team. He's got $4 million in guarantees next year, which uh, is not a huge issue whatsoever. But if you want to maximize the amount that you have, which again is already going to be pretty large. Um, so you don't need to move him for that reason, but that's a nice amenity. Uh, the fact that the Knicks drafted Toppin, and he's 22 years old, he's not some yep. younger project, leads me to believe that, nope. again, you can't play Randall and Toppin together unless you're shifting Randall to the five, and I still don't want to see a Randall-Toppin combination. Well, I thought you were going to say Toppin and Randall at the three and the four, no. which, by the way, can the person who, like someone out there who maybe maybe you're maybe not is listening to this, if you thought of that, like... Shut it down. Just shut it down. It's, it's, I know the East is big, man. I know we got Woody back, but just shut it down. Yeah, I'm with you. So, getting bigger by the day. Dwight Howard, they got Dwight Howard. I saw, I saw a proposed uh, Philly uh, starting lineup with Dwight Howard at like the four. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Um, No, uh, Obi Thompson's up playing the the three. Sorry. Continue. And I think the big thing with Randall right now is there's the side of just get rid of him if you can, trade him for some sort of matching salary especially if you can add it to your backcourt that would balance things out nicely. Um, And the other idea is hold on to Randall because his value could increase. And I just want to talk about the second point because for me, I don't, Randall's a known commodity. Yes. He has never been with a coach quite like Tibbs. If you look at the coaches he's had, they've all been either mediocre or just very subpar. And you know, Mike Miller's great, but he's also coaching uh, on the sidelines is not the head coach. So he's not some, he's not on Tibbs level. He's just not. Um, but this idea that if you get Randall, he's going to substantially increase the package offer. What are we talking about? We're talking about like a second round pick. Are we, are we playing Randall ahead of Obi Toppin in the hopes of flipping Randall for maybe a better second round pick? Uh, that, I just don't quite understand it. And I get it. I, I don't hate the man. It's, it's also his birthday. So happy birthday, Julius. Um, happy birthday, Julius. Please don't block me. Here's why I'm going to talk about trading you. Um, it's, it's just idea of, he's a, basically a, a stone's throw away from 20 and 10. And I saw some people online actually advocating for cutting Randall from the team. And oh, come on. it's just absolutely absurd. You, you don't cut that dude and you don't have to. Here's the other thing. I want Toppin to play ahead of Randall. I can also see an argument for Toppin's got to earn this. He's coming in as a rookie. I want to see the eighth overall pick starting, no doubt. But you also look at the roster and you look at the fact that if that, if the player who's, I guess, the point guard, if that's something like uh, Frank, if it's Dennis Smith Jr., then you have probably Burks, I guess, in this case. You've got RJ, Toppin, and Mitch, hypothetically. That's a lot of youth. It's a lot of inexperience. You want a little bit more in there. Um, in terms of experience and having a guy who's 20 and 10, who actually had a positive net rating with Mitchell Robinson on the floor. It's something, it, it's something to consider. It's not ideal. Obviously him it's and not. Robinson and, and Alfred were world beaters. They were, but the other thing you could consider, I'm not is, being facetious either. I know, <laughs> no, they're good. Their numbers are good. But for fans who also are tired of the Randall and Peyton connection, especially with RJ on the floor, if you start Randall and you have Elf, coming off the bench, then you're eliminating that problem. And another thing you could conceptually do is you could say, all right, let's start Randall and we'll have Obi Toppin as the first guy off of the bench with like, you know, five minutes in. It doesn't have to be this thing where we know that Tibbs likes to play his guys, but he also will have a short hook if there's someone who's not playing within the flow of the game and doing what he wants. So, you know, again, I do want Obi Toppin to start, but there's something to be said of, him fighting for that job because it, for me, it's also, if you're keeping Randall, 
it's less about improving his value to get him something good and more about making sure it doesn't plummet. And again, I know he's a known commodity, so you could say, well, you know, how is that supposed to work? But there's something to be said, I think, conceptually about having a guy who's starting and trading him for matching salary in a second round pick, even if it's into a backup role, then trading a backup for another backup. Yeah, I I think two things I want to say. One, um, you know, we do this as fans. We get really, really caught up in like, oh, Obi Toppin has to start. If it's if he doesn't start, it's a crime against humanity. Um, I don't care whether he starts. Um, I don't really care specifically how many minutes he plays. I mean, yeah, I want him to play at least like 20 minutes a game, ideally, you know, a little bit more than that. Um, if he's playing a number that starts with a two, and those are good minutes, and he's in situations where he could be successful if he plays well. That's all I care about. If he's starting, if he's not starting, I don't really give a shit. Um, my whole argument for wanting to get rid of Randall, and I, I've I went, I've been resistant to this until whatever I wrote it a week or two ago, um, was I don't think he will take kindly to having a reduced role, um, and I don't think he has that in him. Now, I'm not in that locker room. I have no idea what the conversations he's had with Deion Rose, with with Kenny Payne, someone who coached him in Kentucky, with Tom Thibodeau. Um, if Randall is okay adjusting his game, he doesn't need to adjust it a lot. If he, if he's okay adjusting his game to a certain amount, and and again, it's not it's not like we haven't seen him play more within himself. He actually did this basically after Fizz got fired, right? Like the last fifth, whatever they were. 40 some odd games. Like he was, if you, if you, if you took the first 22 games and you just tossed them into the river and you just looked at the last, I guess it was 44. Well, they play 66 games. Yeah. So 44. And you just looked at those 44 and you did ignore the first 22. And you're like, okay, this guy didn't have a great year. He'd probably not worth the contract we gave him, but you know, he's, he's helpful. He's, he's doing good stuff. We, you know, we, we want to keep him around. Um, and that kind of leads me to the second point, which is the value argument. And I've I've fluctuated on this. To me, it's not about getting him to the point where some other team looks at him and be like, that's the guy we need to give up our first round pick for. It's more about we don't know at this point when whether any team in the league views him as even a net neutral asset. And whether the Knicks are making calls and they're like, well, if we're taking on Julius Randle, we're going to need a little sweetener if it may just be about getting from that point to the point where some team is like, Oh, okay. So we have to take the last 30 games with Julius Randall this year. And then we get to decide whether or not we want to waive him and, and pay him $4 million for the right to do so next season. Um, yeah. We'll give you a, you know, we'll give you a second round pick for that. Like that's to me what it's more about. And the, the last thing I want to say on this, it's really easy for me and you to sit here and be like, we need to move on from Julius Randall. And I, again, I have said this and I have written this. Um, you could go back and look. If you're the Knicks and you clearly want to not be putrid this year, and we have sat here on this podcast and agreed, it may not be in their best interest to be as putrid as possible. Um, I don't think it is in their best interest to be as putrid as possible. Then the idea of trading away, whether he's their best player or whatever, he's, he is, he is, he is their most talented player in terms of what he is capable of doing on the offensive end of the floor. I don't think I said anything untrue there. That matters. That's a thing. That's real. So the idea of like, let's just get rid of him. It's one thing if you're tra- if you're swapping him for somebody else, similarly flawed player, you know, Eric Bledsoe is the name that I, I'm sure we'll get into um, that I thought of, you know, but it's another thing to just be like, let's, I want to move on from him to move on from him and be done with him. Um, and I think that's easier said than done because at one point, you know, right now, it's the only strength of their team is their is their front court. And yes, if you can weaken that but strengthen something else, that's one thing. But if there's no opportunity to strengthen that other weakness of the team, and you could go into this and be like, all right, we're weak in the front court. We need Dennis Smith Jr. to pop. We need Alfred Payton to like do a little bit better this and that. But at the very least, we know worst case scenario, we're getting forty or excuse me, 96 good minutes from the four and the five. Randall, Toppin, Noel, and Mitchell Robinson in some way, shape, or form. Like, that has some value, I think, to a team in the Knicks position. 
that's all I, I, that's my only response. I would say. No, I agree with that. Um, and we had this conversation actually in the Strickland Slack channel because Mark Berman talked about Randall as the Knicks best player. And it was this idea of, well, is it Randall or is it Mitch? And my personal viewpoint is it's very close. Obviously, I think a lot of what Mitch does is based on potential. He's certainly impacting the game, especially from an advanced metric point of view. Um, But it's also like, I think James Marceda talked about this. If you had five Mitches on the court, and if you had five Randalls on the court, then (laughs) what's going to happen? Yes, obviously the five Mitches would be very good at defense, but you're going to have the five Randalls who are able to create for themselves a little bit more. Yeah. And with Mitch, he's he's just not at that point. And to N- cut, nor are any of the other Knicks barring a, a a mini leap from RJ Barrett. Right. Exactly. And you know, Randall, he's he's a very average player statistically in terms of what he's able to do. Um, but he's also able to score and he's able to rebound. And you know, he showed some limited promise of stretching the floor. And that was quickly quashed by a pretty putrid season from shooting outside. He shot like 27% last year, something along bit. those lines. So again, I, I think it's almost like um, we're so close to Randall compared to other players. And I talked about this. We talked about this with Alfred Payton, where yeah. the, the options were not that much better than Payton. And I don't mean to rehash that discussion. It's more just transitioning it to Randall where um, it seems every year because the team is so bad, we tend to find two or three guys to pick on and we kind of look at their flaws and, and whether we choose to or not, we can sometimes exploit them. Um, and we can maybe say things that are just exaggerated. Um, and I'm again, guilty it's, of it's, this with Randall. I just, he was, he was an, he was a maddening player to watch last year. Yeah. It's but, same thing. but in part, partially because he is talented and you felt like, my God, if this guy just got his head out of his ass, right. Yeah, that's part yeah. of it. And for me, last year it was Portis, the idea of a fifteen million dollar man oh, coming off the bench. Who, like, if you take a fourth of that contract, he's on a good deal. But he wasn't. He wasn't on that contract, so that a was fourth. a problem. Not seventy five percent, right? <laughs> so you know, well, no, I was no, I was thinking the other way around. Where if, no, wait, no, 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 you're right. If was, you paid okay, Julius, yeah. if you paid uh, Bobby Portis three point seven five million dollars for what he did last year, great That'd deal, be, awesome, great value. wonderful yeah. player, exactly. So. I guess the thing with Randall is it's still, I'd be fine trading him today. I'd really rather not give up anything to deal him. Nor I'm not I. looking to, to inflate his value to such a point where it increases to the point where it is now. But I guess if the, if it were between trading him and trading assets to get rid of him or just keeping him, then the answer to me is pretty obvious. It's just a matter of how you balance out front court minutes because Nerlens Noel only averaged about 13 minutes a game in OKC last year. So, you know, this idea maybe that I, I, some others maybe have had of 48 minutes of rim protection. Well, that that may not be very true. But that's the thing, right, is because if Mitchell Mitchell Robinson, again, has not shown the ability to play 30 minutes a night. So if they're if they're penciling in Mitchell Robinson for let's conservatively say 28 minutes a night and they're penciling in Nerland's Noel for another. Would you say he averaged last year? 13, 13? something I can double check, but so if you, if you up that to, to 14, even, so that gets us to 30, uh, 42 minutes a night. There's a 48 minute game. You want to play Randall six minutes at the center position. Another me, just quickly. He played uh 13.7, two years ago with OKC last year, he played 18 and a half. So he upped his, his minutes. Okay. A bit more. So, okay. Well, I think, there is there is a world where you're you're like okay let's say it's a night Mitch gets in foul trouble and you know you 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 can't run like there there will be nights because they have happened before and they will happen again where Mitch picks up two fouls in the first couple minutes of the game right and then they're going to stick Noel in there and Noel is going to need a breather at some point those are the opportunities where you're going to want to stick Randall at, as the backup five right I guess my point is that there I think are enough Randall at center minutes out there for you to feel okay about him and Toppin sharing the four, which takes away from Knox at the four, which I realize is a, is significant to me. It's significant because you, that is, I still think that is his ideal position. That said, 
rightly or wrongly, I don't think this front office is is sitting around here making decisions, worrying about what is what is Kevin Knox's ideal position in the NBA. I think they feel like, listen, it's a kid's third year. If he has it, he has it. If he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it. And if he has it, we will then make decisions to accommodate what he shows us. But it's not going to be the other way around. If I had to guess, just a guess. That's what I would guess. But as of now, I think they're looking at this as we're going to give Knox the opportunity to fight it out for essentially backup minutes at the three behind RJ, who I think will play the three. And um, I think you're looking at Rivers at the two. I think you're looking at quickly getting some minutes at the two. I think you're looking at Burks in that mix mix as well. Um, Did I miss anybody? No, I don't think I missed anybody, right? Frank's not playing on ball. Maybe he'll. We'll, I mean, we'll see yeah. what. But again, that gets us to the point guard position, where it's like, okay, this team, and we kind of went through a version of this last week, where we're like, this team kind of feels could kind of feel okay about itself. Positions four and five, definitely two and three, maybe it's the one, and that's what gets us back to well, where is the trade? And at this point, we could just like, where's the trade? I other than New Orleans, do you see an? Obvious trade on the board, whether it involves Randall, whether it involves Frank, whether it involves whoever. I don't see it other than New Orleans. Unless it was, say, like Denver for Monte Morris, who's barely making anything. What does Denver want from us? Well, that's the thing. It would probably be some sort of second round pick, maybe. Is but, Denver but really going to weaken it? Like, Monte Morris is good. I know they've done yes. other stuff this offseason. Right. Monte Morris is good. Well, that's the reason why they would do it because of the fact that there is more of a logjam there. But if they don't, you know, if they don't want to trade him for the sake of trading him, then they're not going to. They're only exactly. going to do it. Why would they trade him? Like, are they really going to trade him for the the Charlotte pick next year? They might as well keep him, especially because you. I'm pretty sure. Well, I can't remember if they was. He was a second round pick, so injuries actually, happen this season. Fucking COVID. You know, it's like it's a this lot. is this is the season to hang on to your depth, right? Especially if they're cheap, which they are. And from the Knicks' perspective, if you're trying to focus on a point guard who can help you also get to the cap floor. Not that you need to do that right now. Morris is not going to do that for you. In fact, if you trade something more, like if you traded salary out, which you probably wouldn't do because Denver doesn't really need it. um, You know, you could, but then you would need more money to take in. So again, yeah, like other than Morris, the idea of someone who can actually play the one, like I I don't see Lonzo as a primary. I think he's a great secondary, or or at least he's not going to be your, um, your half court point guard per se. He's really good in the catch and shoot. He's great in transition, but he's not going to be like your one and that's fine. But if you get that, then you still need to figure out a way to support that with someone else. Like you need to have someone next to Lonzo. And I feel like that doesn't really solve your problem right now. I agree. So no, I, I bled. So to me has always been the guy that made like blood. So for Randall straight up blood. So for Frank, Bledsoe for Frank and Bledsoe and, and a draft asset for Frank and God. But if you're the Pelicans, you know, my thoughts are, why are you trading Bledsoe? Because he can actually help them win. I ag- And that's something they're going to want to do because I mean, look I agree. At who's backing him up. It's Kyrie Lewis Jr. Who's a, a rookie. And who's a got, rookie. Um, it's funny. It's a similar situation to the Knicks have with the power forward position. They just drafted a kid high who is now stuck playing behind someone who by virtue of their talent and their salary is going to get minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, they have other players to prioritize. Like they've got Zion, they've got Ingram. You could argue that if ball has a significant role, then, you know, he's ahead of them for, for Lewis. It's, it's kind of just like, all right, well, we want to develop him, but he's not a priority in the sense that the Knicks lack the level of talent that the Pelicans have where Toppin is maybe more of a priority because of what they yes. do. Oh, oh! I, sh- I should make that very clear. Kyra Lewis Jr. and Obi Toppin. I'm not like Obi Toppin is supposed to walk in and be one of the two or three worst best rookies in the league from day one. Kyra Lewis is a long term investment who may give you a little help in his first year, but like not in the same. So, I, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Other than that, there's it seems like there's a dearth of lead guards who is available. I mean, you could say George Hill, but. The idea of dealing with the thunder. What do you you like? You're really going to give up something to to is George Hill that? I mean, I know. I listen. I know George Hill was the best three point shooter in the league last year. I get that. That has immense value if George Hill is the third or fourth guy in terms of the order of operations having the ball in their hands. In this offense, 
guess what? Georgia would have the ball in his hands an awful lot. His standstill three-point shooting numbers don't make quite the difference, folks. Um, unless you the- have right, unless you have RJ as a primary ball handler, which I don't know if the Knicks are comfortable. But, yeah, but, so that could, but then around and around we go, because if they're right. planning on having RJ doing a lot of the ball handling duties, right, and they still have Randall and they still have Toppin who are going to handle the rock, um, I shouldn't say handle the rock, who are going to have some of the offense go through them, then, like, is it the worst thing in the world to have Alfred and DSJ and Frank be your, be your point guard trio? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think I, it can get that much worse than last year. I don't think it'll be good, per se, but, you know, I, I don't know how much worse it could really be. I, I just, it's really interesting. If they go into this season with this point guard rotation, to me, it speaks to the fact like we there was a lot of noise. People were very unhappy, a lot of yelling and screaming. But we know what we saw, and we are comfortable with Alfred Payton running the show, given the upgrades and talent we have made elsewhere on the roster. That's to me what they would be saying with a with a side dish of. Maybe Dennis Smith Jr. is ready to take the leap and be a guy who could give us 20 to 25 minutes of good point guard play, solid point guard play every night. Um, and, and I'm going to get people yelling and screaming. How dare you not mention Frank? I, I, I don't know how many different ways I could say it. I don't think this team looks at Frank like a point guard. I just don't think they look at him in that view in that way anymore. I hope I'm again. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I would love for him to prove me wrong, um, but I'm not sure that he's necessarily. I mean, he was a good backup last year in terms of running the show, and he does all the other wonderful, beautiful things, which on a good team would stand out and be very valuable. Um, but boy, there's a lot of competition for time on this team right now. So someone's someone's not getting it. Maybe this is a good uh, segue into our next conversation, but yeah. it seems like there was a lot of time and energy spent on your 14th, 15th, maybe even 17th man, which obviously is your 17th man has no effect whatsoever on your team because you can only roster 15 guys. You talk about Michael K. Gilchrist. Yes. I mean, I, I was just mindlessly scrolling through Twitter and seeing people who were so upset at the idea of an exhibit 10 contract for a very good defender. People are saying like, Oh my God, well he can't shoot. So, so how are we supposed, it's a fucking exhibit 10 contract. He doesn't have to be on the team. It doesn't matter. And here's the other thing. Wait, hold on. It's six Oh three. So we've been talking for about 53 minutes. We got our first Jeremy Cohen curse. Let's do it. Yeah. So again, the idea of Obi Toppin going up against a really good defender of bigs, not as much wings, but definitely with bigs. He's, he's become more of a, of a power forward as, times go, as time goes on. The ability to surround him with that type of player, at least through training camp, is very nice. And also, just to go back really quickly, um, Toppin having to face a defensively against Randall, who, is, um, who can actually do something with the ball, that's yeah. nice because we want Toppin's defense to improve a lot. Yes. And so that's a nice step in the direction. But for Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, again, it's like, I, I, I don't care. I, I I care about the fact that people are just so up in arms because it's like, are you that desperate to criticize a move that you're upset at the idea of Michael Kidd Gilchrist in training camp or the fact like, yes, if he comes to the team, if he's on the team, uh, we talked about how the Knicks have ranked in the bottom 15 in defense the last 15 of 16 years. They need improvements everywhere. Obviously, I want players to, to be better at shooting, but think about what we did last year, right? Last year, we said the Knicks signed Bullock, the Knicks signed Ellington. They're signing guys who can space the floor better, and they didn't really do that. You know, Ellington had his worst shooting year of his career. Bullock was hurt and just was not himself, and then the season abruptly ended because of COVID. And now it's like, okay, well, we have added some shooting. We've added at least, you know, some plus shooting in the player like Alec Burks. We've had some average shooting in um, Austin Rivers. Bullock is coming back, so you hope that he can be, you know, back to his old self. I forgot about Reggie before. That's my bad. That's fine. After, you know, his injury and that he maybe, you know, gets a little bit better. You've got Quickly, who's got a great shot. All of these things where... I think Quickly's going to play. I do too. And he's, he's he's, you know, he's a good defender. So this idea of... Just focusing on the shot, just the shot. It's like, guys, come on. Let's well, first look at an Exhibit 10 contract player who, if he makes the team, and it's, it's look, it's possible he does because you could just. I think he's going to make the team. Too. You know, it's this idea of, yes, obviously, 
he's part of the the Kentucky CAA Kentucky as I call it or something. Kentucky, it. I like it. That's you great. know, so it, it's the sort of thing where I understand that you could look at this as the Knicks scratching the back of CAA and, and even Kentucky. But again, if he helps your players in practice, if he makes them better, that's something to be said. This is a guy whose minutes have been decreasing every single year for the last two or three years. They have. You know, I know that's on a long track record, but there's clearly a sign here that he's not the type of guy who's going to be hogging so many minutes that it's like, what are our young players doing? I, but, you know, it was that. And it was also the fact when you see someone like Kenny Wooten being waived, going to Houston, all these other things where it's like, why do you care about a 15th man? Well, the because Knicks are also it's signed Knicks. Jared Harper to the because two-way it's... contract. They're taking chances on young players. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. The fact that we have to even engage this conversation is ridiculous because at the end of the day, you still have all of these players who are 23 and under, and you're surrounding them with a couple of vets who are on really good contracts who can be traded or they can just be cut. And it shouldn't be that significant. So it, it matters. That's my rant. It matters. No, it's a good rant. Solid rant. I'll give it a, a eight point seven five. I'll take. Um, it matters because it's the Knicks, and as long as the Knicks uh, are, as long as until they prove otherwise, there will always be a presumption of shenanigans. Um, to borrow uh, Brian Windhorst uh, podcast term, which I like. I like that term, shenanigans. Um, you know, and they have the worst record in the league, uh, percentage wise, since the turn of the century so they get no benefits of any doubt um and that is fair um so i get all of that my my three things i want to say on on um michael k gilchrist are, are hopefully will be pretty quick one if we're a day before the season and uh we get a tweet from whoever saying the knicks have waived uh, Ignace Brasdakis um, and uh, Michael Kigilkrist gets their final spot on the roster. Then I will, if that actually happens, I will host a call-in show and I will make time for every person who wants to call in, kneel and scream about it because it will be absolutely warranted. Um, I don't even care what Iggy Brasdakis becomes as a player. It's just, it's not something you do. Um, unless he's just like an awful human being behind the scenes, but I we've seen no indication of that. That said, gets me to my second point. Um, I have said this, I think before on the pod, there is, I have a text conversation with Yash and Bernard about this team and other things, um, in which it has been uttered before in that text conversation in regards to the Knicks, that the rot is in the walls when you lose as much and as frequently, um, and as unapologetically as this franchise has for the last 20 years. You need to examine, like, you, there needs to be a change of, like, the fabric of what the organization is. And that takes wholesale changes, both on the roster and behind the scenes. They've made the change, a lot of changes behind the scenes. But changing the vibe, changing, I, I say it sometimes, changing the juju in the locker room, that's massive. And like, look, I don't know what Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is as a locker room guy. I can only assume. But I am willing, again, maybe I'm the fool. I am willing to give the parties that be the benefit of the doubt that they feel like he is someone that if they inject him into the locker room behind the scenes as a guy who is going to support other guys in there, that that is worthwhile. And for your last, for your 20th roster spot training camp, like that is a worthwhile expenditure of assets. It's an NBA um, player. He's an NBA player. He's like, he's an NBA <laughs> player. He's a former number two pick in the draft, documented, hard worker, com- like incredibly hard worker. Um, like never had a bad word said about him. And then the, the, the jump shot, of course. Well, other than his jump shot. Um, and then, the, <laughs> God, uh, the, the third and, 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 the final thing that I want to say in regards to the CAA and the Kentucky stuff, like, yes, there's the back scratching element to it. And I'd be naive to sit here and be like, Oh, that doesn't play a role at all because I'm sure it does. But there's two sides of that coin, right? Which is that when you know a guy, and this kind of relates to the last point that I made, when you have people in your organization who know a guy really well, you know what he is and you know what his attitude is every day, you know what he brings to the table you know, as opposed to when you're sitting there on June 30th and you're like, oh, we got to sign some guys. Uh, this guy's stats looks pretty good. Let's let's bring in him. And you don't know what you're getting. Like they know 
what they're getting. And maybe this is an irrelevant conversation because he gets waived in three weeks. But I think for, you know, to just pinpoint the bad or the potential bad from this and not, you know, turn around and be like, well, let's look at the full picture is, is, is kind of silly. Um, so that's what I want to say about that. Did you want to touch on the, the river, the sign and trade aspect of the rivers deal? Cause I know you're into this shit um, sure. more yeah. than I am. So they, they signed and traded for, they, let me rephrase that. Houston signed Austin Rivers and then traded him to the Knicks on a descending salary, by the way. Yes. Um, you liked this. I know. It's fine. Again, it's the sort of thing where I don't think that this is a losing trade by any stretch because you're turning cap space into assets. But again, those assets are players that are just draft rights. It's not like you're getting picks out of them. And if these players who I think they're like, 33, 34, and 37 years old. Um, and kind of the head scratcher for me, I guess, was trading uh, Sanan because he's only 21 and his draft rights won't expire nearly well, as quickly. Well, that's, that's the thing is that, that if it was saying the Rockets like wanted, they wanted him. Right, because they knew something was going to expire. So this is the sort of thing where either the Knicks make something out of this. By so what, taking- do, what could the Knicks get out of this? Well, what they could get out of this is by taking on some sort of bigger salary and sending a draft right, the play, the draft rights to a player like hypothetically um, Sergio Yule and getting a bigger salary back. And then that way they're not necessarily moving their own salary to another team that doesn't want salary in return. Um, so they have that at their disposal. The question How do you pronounce is, his name? That was beautiful. I think, I mean, I, I, I think Yule? it's pronounced Sergio like Yule. Log? Yeah, I think so. That's great. Yeah. Well, the, by the way, know, who you're, the guy the you're talking about is a f- phenomenal fucking player. Yes, I had yeah. forgotten for a second. That's why the Knicks wanted to do the sign trade because they wanted that dude. Partially. I mean, I, from what I've read, his um, his game has fallen off a little bit because of injury and hasn't quite gotten back there. But when there was I mean, there was a point where he was the best player, the best point guard in Europe. In Europe. Um, so again, like that's what this is the type of deal where it's not going to be like, oh my god, Brock Aller strikes again, unless the Knicks turn around and take any of those players and use it to facilitate a bigger deal. The likelihood is this deal is just not going to matter. It's basically going to be akin to the Knicks signing rivers using their cap space, but they're yeah. also maybe doing the rockets, the slightest of solids too, which is giving them a, uh, the TPE that they never would have had. And you know, whether that matters in the long run or not, probably not. Um, it probably doesn't have much of a bearing, but again, you, know. you don't, know. this, this is the type of deal where, I just don't think the Knicks will lose from it. Hopefully they gain something from it. It's probably just going to wind up being neutral. It's fine if that's the case. They Again, they didn't give up anything unless it's Sanon, but they got, you know, a couple but others again, back. It's a, nice, so, it's, it's a nice indication that they're... It's the margin know. moves that we've talked about before. It's, it's yes. the little things that they could have just signed Rivers, but instead they got something. And that something could be nothing eventually, but right now it's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, by the way, what I was laughing at a few minutes ago was uh, Berman has posted his latest article. The title of the article is Nick's Obi Toppin Steel, similar to Christoph Porzingis' surprise, colon, NBA expert. Do you want to guess who the NBA expert is? Is it Fran Frischel? Oh, uh, is it Scott with Brian? Brian <laughs> Oringer? Because he's not, had him on there before. It um, is not Scott with Brian. It is okay. not Fran Frischel. He appears regularly on MSG. He's regularly on MSG? Like after every Nick game. Is it Wally? Yes, Wally. Okay. It's fantastic. The tweet says, Wally Ball feels Obi Toppin is a draft steal and envisions Julius Randle as his mentor. Of course he does. Of course. Um, It's just fantastic stuff. Um, Anyway, uh, anything else we... I feel like there has... Is there something obvious that we didn't touch on? I don't... Like we didn't actually talk about any basket, like, you know, what, what this, I mean, we touched a little bit on the the roster and potential rotation, but I, I, again, I don't know that there's much more that could be said at this point without, um, I don't know. I want to get closer to camp, but I want to, I want to actually, I'm still not convinced that this is the roster that they're going to bring at the training camp. I just, I'm not. Yeah. I'm with you. It just feels incomplete still. And maybe, you know, if this is the final roster, then I don't know where I'll be at emotionally with it. I could probably throw my hands up and say like, well, let's just see where they are at the deadline, I guess. Um, but until then, it just it just feels somewhat 
lopsided I, and incomplete. I don't. I could be okay to... with it. I I could be okay with it because I. Well, again, I think I think, there's, of, I think there's a respectable team in there. Sure, I don't think this team is worse than last year's team. I I don't either. I, I think that you know it's a, a lot team of that areas, I want to watch more. Right, exactly, and you know you're going to see kids, and that's great. That's a lot of fun. I mean, I'll be happy seeing. Uh, a young person who's not Alfred Payton. I mean, he's like what, 26, 27 years old. That's, that's not old to me in, yeah. in terms of basketball. It, it's you're getting it, obviously, but in real life, that's, that's uh, I'm, I'm staring down the uh, pike at that one. Um, so for, you know, in this case though, there's, there's not a whole lot that's, that's older and we get to actually see what we've been craving, which yeah. is a young team that, that it, it it's made or break broken it, you can look at it that way. So, yeah, you know, yes, I think that we could easily talk ourselves into it because it, it feels different than before. Um, you could, the idea of maybe a journeyman point guard, your Jack type mentor who comes in there and steals the spotlight and you wish that you had a younger player playing ahead of him. But I, man, I'm still mixed because the idea that I still having some sort of veteran with experience as well, who's out there, I don't know. It, I'm do you really want them? Do you want them to trade for Eric Bledsoe? Let's say that. No, let's say it's, it's it's Julius Randle for Eric Bledsoe straight up. You don't want him to do that deal. I do not, based on the fact that look, I, with Bledsoe, this is where it, the the conflict is for me internally. This idea of I want the Knicks to try to win games because, based on what we're seeing with the lottery and the fact that I don't want them to maybe be the worst or second worst team because sure, yes, I've completely argued about not wanting to fall further than in this case, five or six respectively. But I think there, it's really kind of embarrassing to go from the worst team in the league to the sixth, to the worst again. If, if there's a season for it to happen, it's obviously this one. I, I just don't see the level of talent being there. I think they're going to be like fourth or fifth worst and that's totally fine. But I think they'll be, if, if this is the roster, I think they will be third or fourth worst, yeah. maybe fifth worst. You know, somewhere around there. So, and that's totally fine. I'm happy with that. Just try to win games and be competitive and make that bigger step next year, yeah. uh, as in the 2021-2022 season. But for now, I just, I don't know, maybe, and maybe this is what happens, where I do want top and ahead of Randall, like I've said, but if you had Randall and Burks on the team uh, in, the, in the starting lineup, and then you had RJ and Mitch and, you know, Frank or Dennis Smith Jr., some sort of, you know, combination of guys who are, really young in their careers and guys who are like more in their primes. It's not a great prime. Obviously Alec Burke's been traded twice. In the <laughs> he's last in his prime, years. baby. Um, he's in his prime. And Randall's been bouncing from team to team. So he's not a great option either for obvious reasons, but maybe you're able to mix this, this youth and talent just, to the point where it, just it play actually good basketball. works. Just right. play, play, look like a functional team. I don't think it's like, all that you can ask for. As long as RJ and Obi are playing, like the, and Mitch, like those are, listen, at this point, Knox, Frank, DSJ, it's gravy. Just get me, get the three kids that are, have the potential to be really like here for a long time and be real, real pieces. If we get one more of those other three guys, I don't even care who it is at this point um, to pop all the better and uh, look functional, look coherent, be competitive more often than not. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Oh, that is, this is one of the last question. We'll, we'll close with this. What would it take for you to take on John Wall? <laughs> I mean, you know how much I was against the idea of Russell Westbrook? Yes. Double that. Really? Well, we're talking well, see, about I'd a guy I'd, who has, has not played since 2018, who is an Achilles tear, who relies on his athleticism and is explosive. And how is that going to affect what him? If they, Again, what like, if they had intel that, that he looked like spectacular in like open runs and whatever else. Well, you know, I mean, he's a good looking guy, so it only makes sense that that would be the <laughs> he's case. A handsome looks man, didn't I change. Uh, a handsome man. I just, I can't, I can't agree can't to that. that type okay. of player. And because really what's your end game here? You either luck into a, you, pick. you, you look more functional this year and you don't look like a potential disaster, which sure, is, which is then, in the cards. Right. But then again, if you do look like a disaster, if he can't play, if he's hurt, then you've just taken on, another team's albatross of a contract. And now you're looking to pass the hot potato at some point. I would rather have Westbrook and I did not want Westbrook and I wow. do not want Westbrook. 
just just keep what you have. If the if the fact is here that <laughs> Randall's what gets you into John Wall, <laughs> just just keep Randall. That's fine. Don't force it with Randall. That's the bottom line. If you can, find I, right to I don't want the I don't want them to trade for John Wall. I don't want the trade for Russell Westbrook. Um, to be honest with you, the only the only one that I I would entertain. I think I think Bledsoe is interesting only only because the final year is such a small guarantee and they could, and they could get rid of that pretty easily. Um, and I think, I think Eric Bledsoe has gotten to the point where no, he's not what you want if you're competing for a championship, but I think he's arguably gotten undervalued in terms of league wide perception. Cause he's still a damn good player. Like, and he's, he's actually, look, is he, is he a, is he a real point guard? No, he's not a real, like he's not Chris Paul, but um he can he can run an offense, and God knows he could defend the position as well. Yeah, I'd take him on. I would do I would do him for Randall straight up. Um, I don't. Well, sure. I mean, but the Pelicans wouldn't take that. They would want an asset for Bledsoe, and they'd want an asset as a favor for taking Randall because he doesn't really fit with what they're doing. He costs more, which again Zion... has an issue with with. The luxury tax Zion could be 500 pounds right now. For all we know, he could be us together times two. We have no idea. Like, are they like it's probably uh, times God. three at this point? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 um, I get it. Right. But I, and I meant that more as a slight to us in terms of our collective weights than, than Zion himself. I've, uh, I've been, I've been running a lot. I ran every day over well, the wouldn't, wouldn't that be helping my case? Yeah, so it would be helpful. Would then be burning calories. Right. So, all right. Um, again, with Zion, it just doesn't make sense for them in my mind to do this type of move. Probably um, not. I don't. Th- they probably wouldn't. If now, here's the thing: if George Hill were still in, you know, um, New Orleans yeah. and hadn't gone to Oklahoma City instead, then you're looking at a different situation, right? But he's not, and as a result, I think it's a it's a very different push and pull because before this was also before the Pelicans acquired Steven Adams, where there seemed to be more of a, of an opening there and there just wasn't. So, you know, again, if it's the sort of thing where mid season, you've got that like Gorgie Jang and a couple second round picks for Randall, like that's obviously a different story. It's just a matter of if you can do that beforehand, I don't, I don't really think you can. I I think they're I think they're at this point I'm, I'm I tend to agree with you. I still don't think this is the. the I think there's another move coming. I don't no, know. No, we're in agreement on that. It's just a matter of yeah, but I don't what know what it is. There's no to make. You're right. There's no obvious move. There's no obvious move on the board. Now the other benefit, of course, is, and this is also like we know this season, right? That there are probably going to be more injuries than not. We could see the bubble as an example. Yeah. Uh, we could see the strike shortened season as another example where guys are going to get hurt a little bit more than they would in a normal season, just True. based on how everything's being truncated and, and games and travel and everything. So this idea as well of if a player gets hurt, especially if he's on an expiring contract and he's out for the season, the team that has that player is absolutely going to look to move that contract because what sure. good is that contract? Yeah. So then you're looking at a situation with the Knicks where let's say that hypothetical player is making, I don't know, like $25 million and the Knicks need to send something back. They could absorb that salary and then send like, you know, seven, eight, however much the matching rules are. And then the other team sending that bad salary that of that injured player can send back something as a thank you for taking on that that effectively dead salary. Yeah. And also for getting something in return, that's potentially valuable, like an Alec Burks type player. So see, the other thing is like, you know, it, it, teams are not going to, or be, will be loath to trade away uh, picks. They don't know where those picks are going to be as we get further along into the season. And a team has a better idea. Like, okay, we're going to make the playoffs. Our pick is only going to be in like whatever range. I think it get it gets more interesting. And man, you know, I've I've already started watching. I watched some, some Kentucky basketball today. I watched watched me a little BJ Boston, Terrence Clark. Um, definitely some. You know, it's gonna be this draft is legit and it's gonna be deep with guys who are uh, you're gonna want on your team. All right, we've been um, talking for long enough. I, of course, we're gonna probably stop recording this. It's it's now six twenty five. I I can't. I can't shake the feet. They're, they're going to yeah. do something else. I don't know what it is, but they're going to do something else. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? 
about this team about anything uh, um god no uh no i don't i don't think so i think it's about it but yeah I, i'm with you it just i keep saying it feels incomplete so we'll see yeah you know. Something's going down. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. As a reminder, if you listen to this podcast as a as a podcast um, and you want to see our – come and say hi. Yeah, you can say hi. Don't come. I'll say you can come. I can't come? Yeah, I'll say you can come. Okay. That was my daughter. It wasn't my wife. Uh, if my wife <laughs> talked to me that way, that would be – that would be unfortunate for all parties involved. Yeah. Um, and if you, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you want to see our ridiculous expressions and um, other, other nonsense, uh, check out the uh, brand new uh, relaunched Nick's film school YouTube channel, which you can find by, I think just typing Nick's film, Jesus, Nick's film school into the search bar of YouTube. And there's a whole bunch of stuff, clips, little clips, big clips, um, every kind of clip from all the podcasts um, as well as some new fun stuff that will be going up this week featuring me and uh, Chris Procyanin, which I'm very excited about. And um, and the mustache is thriving. In case you're listening, it's getting better. You so, can, I mean, just listen, cl- click on the YouTube link for the mustache. Just alone. the mustache. Yeah. Jeremy's. Yeah. I, I, I got a haircut, too. It's, it looks you look great. I need you. a haircut, which is why I'm wearing a hat today. That's you can okay. see my hat. You can see my uh, JR um, trying to get the pipe T-shirt. Um, which I'm, which I'm very proud of. Uh, One of these days you might see my cat. So it's it's really a (laughs) win-win. One of these days I'm going to get my daughter on it on, on here, but uh, not today. All right. That's it. Uh, Thanks you for listening, everybody. And we'll be back with you with another episode uh, very soon.